Welcome to Talking Events, the industry podcast brought to you by Event Industry News. Today's podcast has been recorded live from Event Industry News HQ in Retford. Each week, the podcast will feature invited guests who will discuss topics and subjects relevant to their own area of expertise. You can get in touch with the podcast using its dedicated Twitter feed at Talking Events. You'll also be able to watch a video recording of each podcast via the Event Industry News YouTube channel. Today's podcast is sponsored by Event Tech Live and the Event Technology Awards. Returning to London on Wednesday, the 11th of November, Event Tech Live is the free-to-attend showcase for the latest innovations in event technology. We'll feature interactive sessions, informal panel discussions, and keynote addresses from some of the industry's leading figures. Later the same evening, the Event Technology Awards will return to the Supernova venue in London's Victoria Embankment Gardens. Recognising the very best in the ever-diverging marketplace of event technology, the awards will become um, or have become a cornerstone of recognising achievement, innovation and the pursuit of excellence. Let's welcome today's panel to the studio. First of all, uh, joining us from I Was At, Uj Duty. Hi. Good to see you. And we welcome uh, Mike Piddock from Glissa, uh, Jonathan Douglas from iBid. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. Morning. morning. So, today's topic, events don't need apps. I think deliberately pro- provocative um, to kickstart the conversation. And I suppose what we mean by events don't need apps is, is perhaps taking a step back and looking at the initial process of what it is an organiser is looking to achieve from their event and how they then go about reaching those targets. Um, Uj, tell us a little bit, first of all, about some of the clients that you you work with, but how their process begins in terms of identifying it. And let's let's start by maybe looking at what people are maybe doing wrong out there from an organization process. Sure. So I think you're absolutely right in terms of uh, a lot of organizers tend to rush straight into the decision that I need an app. And that's often based on, you know, sometimes it's keeping up with the Joneses, sometimes it's you know, trying to be um, innovative in their space, right? But often it's it falls down because they've not taken the time to think about why they need the app. You know, what is the actual reason behind the app I'm trying to, uh, you know, put in front of my audience? And so the interesting point, I guess, here is, is that, you know, what you actually have, technology as it, as it stands, as we see it, should be completely invisible. You know, the technology, the, it, the app is never the end goal. The end goal is the function that they're trying to drive, whether it be from an attendee's perspective, trying to you know, network more effectively, whether it's an exhibitor trying to find better leads or the organizer trying to build better events. The, the app should just be a, a rather smart conduit, you know, a path through which the, the individual gets their end goal quicker, faster, smarter, smoother, right? Now, despite each one of you serving a slightly different uh, sector of the industry and, and the actual end users being perhaps slightly different. Um, Jonathan, would you, would you agree with that? How does that, um, that statement from Uj reflect in, in the marketplace that you're serving with iBid? I totally agree. It's just a platform through which uh, users get to their end goal and making that journey as smooth and quick as possible um, for the event organizer and the guest is absolutely key. You know, we have a, an app-based product and we have a non-app-based product and the most important things with those two is the user journey and the user UX. So um, I totally agree. Yeah. Should it, should it necessarily be invisible though, Mike? Um, I, it depends how you define invisible. So I think, I think with technology, you, there's, there's an interface, there's users using their mobile phones and, and, and the, the technology, the, in, the interface there is really quite important. Um, but going back to sort of the, the point about objectives, I think that's totally right. You've got to understand your event objectives and pick the technology that fits. 
I would actually go even further back and look at the business objectives. Why are you running that event in the first place? So if, if you think about a corporate running a big event, it might be to, to gather sales leads. And if that's the objective of the event in the first place, then ask the question, well, how, how will technology help me gather sales leads? So it's, it's even a step further back within the, within the organization. And just moving around the table, um, let's, let's try and pick some examples here. Because as mentioned, you're each serving a slightly different uh, audience. Um, so what would be some of the objectives that your sort of client, Ouj, would be looking to achieve from their event? And why would they then you know, utilize what you guys can offer? Sure. So I guess one of the key things which we help facilitate is smarter audience network and engaging, right? So if you think about the, the audience metrics across the industry, you know, 84% of all delegates will say networking is one of the principal reasons why they attend an event, you know, meeting relevant people. So what we often do is we, you know, we'll help event organizers really drive that engagement piece before, during, and even long after the event is over, and that helps add additional value to their event and to their audience's perception of that event to drive future sales going forward. So their objective very much looking at getting the audience talking to each other and interacting with each other. Um, Jonathan, in terms of iBid, again, you've got an audience there that's using it, but what are the ultimate objectives from your clients and, and, and how are they voiced to you? So the most important thing for every client we support is to raise as much money as they possibly can from those that they've got, either online or in the actual room. Um, not only raise money, but in a very fun and simple way. So rather than taking away what you know, used to be there for silent auctions and pledging, which was pen and paper, and turning it into a more engaging, interactive, seamless process that ultimately raises you more. And Mike, your uh, Glisser is, is working a lot on providing a service for, for speakers, for presenters, for organisers themselves. Um, what would their objectives be and what would they be seeking to achieve from an app or, or, or indeed any other platform that, that they want to aid their event? So we're getting a huge amount of traction with corporate users actually using it for internal events. So if you think about what we do, we're sharing content to people in a room or maybe people in multiple rooms around the world. And then we're gathering data and response back. So if you think about an organizational challenge, it has a huge number of employees, it wants to get a message out, wants to communicate to them, but it also wants to ask them what they think, gather feedback. The traditional routes, things like SurveyMonkey, just don't really work because you, you don't want to answer that survey when you're back at your desk and you're, you're into your job again. But by getting those people in the room and surveying them through event technology, whether it's an app or whatever, that allows an organization to gather a huge amount of data from its employees, and that's got to be important. Uh, Uj, how, how would I was at then, uh, moving on from what Mike's just said, mm-hmm. um, help to not manipulate necessarily the customer data, but certainly capture it, but in a way that is tangible to the organiser, um, that they can they can sort of look through afterwards and, and see very, very clearly an analysis of who those people were and what they were actually doing. Sure. So I guess the first thing to kind of look at is that, you know, data by itself is somewhat immaterial, right? So there's the old adage which says, you know, content is king, right? And so if you think about data, data is your content, right? But in a world where content is king, context is God, right? So having data which you can actually act upon, which is contextually relevant to what you're trying to achieve, whether it be, you know, corporate or commercial goals, whether it be helping people network or understand the audience, Understanding the, the remit through which you want to use that data is really important to helping you work on that data. So what we often do is, you know, we'll capture huge amounts of data from audience interactions, from, you know, outside social engagement, from also, you know, the agenda items that they attend, all sorts of stuff. And from that, we will start by asking the key questions. What is it you want to know? 
If we can understand what you want to know, then we can leverage the data pool in front of us to help drive a much better understanding for you, your organization, and for every stakeholder in that chain. Is it important to keep that, that data as streamlined as possible, Jonathan? Because I think people, the, the general public now accept that through the use of devices, whether that be tablets, laptops, smartphones, whatever it may be, and whether that may be buying tickets or even buying clothes online, they are giving over their data. They're giving over their information. How important is it that organisers look to achieve the best possible outcome in terms of their data objectives, but keep it as streamlined as possible so as to not make it any sort of arduous process for the customers? Yeah, so we um, all of our products, you don't have to register, you have to put any details in until you get to that moment of sale. So when you meant to make that first bid is when you actually have to put your details in. The most important thing for us is not getting people to, as soon as they pick up the device or start using the iBid product, is to register and put their details in, which can be quite an arduous process. So data is absolutely crucial to, um, to all of our charities, and obviously they're high donors and the, the, the stuff they do with it, but making sure it's easy for the user, that it doesn't stop them using the product in the first place, is the most important thing. Uh, and Mike, again, just, just wanting to understand more about the, 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 the marketplace and the people that you're serving with your own app. Um, how important is data there? Is it a secondary element to, to the actual functionality of the app itself? Um, I think for the event organisers and presenters, it's, it's vitally important. I think the, the great benefit to presenters is that you know who your audience are. So when I present, present traditionally, you may get two or three people come up to you at the end of the session saying, OK, I enjoyed that, please tell me more. Whereas through an app, you're actually gathering a list of all of the people that have interacted with you you can follow up with their questions if you didn't manage to answer them at the time. Potentially those people are leads if they've been interested enough to, to ask you something or to inquire more during your session. You can use that going forward. So for, for a presenter, that's a, that's a huge step forward from just being out there communicating in one direction and hoping that it had an effect. You can suddenly start saying, well, did it have an effect? You get, you effect, you get a scorecard for how you presented by looking at that data. Can that type of app that's servicing the actual presenter at a conference or a seminar be a selling point for the organisers themselves when they're looking to put together a good lineup of, of keynote speakers? Well, I, th I think so too. There's, there's two reasons. One is that if you're, if you're selling speaking slots, if sponsors are effectively paying to be there to speak, then it's a great thing that you can offer back to them. You can say, well, you spoke, and actually this is how you did. These are the number of interactions you had. And here are a bunch of people that were willing to ask you questions and happy for you to follow up. Additionally, for, for the event organiser, you're collecting all that data. You can see who the good speakers were, who were the ones which really engaged the audience, who drove conversation, who was shared socially. And that's useful for you the next time you're booking presenters because you can ensure that the good ones come back again. In the context of iBid, Jonathan, and its use as a means for guests at an event to essentially bid during the auction process. Um, how does the, the data analysis help the organisers to develop those auctions? Surely the, it's all dependent on the, the actual guests in the room. They don't really know who's going to, well, they know who's going to be there, but they don't really know how those auctions are going to go um, on any given night. So how does the analysis of data help to actually promote better events for these organisers? So it's, the, um, it's the comparison of year on year. So year one, you don't have any data to go off. You don't know who's going to come, what money's in their pocket, what they're going to bid on, if you've got the right auction items there that appeals to the audience. But after you've done the first event and you've got the data that's built up, so the time that people bid throughout the night, which affects your running order, 
what items sold well, uh, when they made announcements throughout the night and the effect that that had on, on guests, did they give people enough time to bid, all that sort of stuff? Did you start bidding online beforehand? Where were people bidding from? Um, so once you've got data from year one to compare, it makes it much easier for year two, three, four, etc. And as a result, analyzing that data makes you streamline your event and ultimately get to your own goal, which is raise more money. Um, Ooj, just coming across to you, um, at, the, at the top of the show, you mentioned that your platform I was at gives people the ability to, to, to create their own event apps. Mm-hmm. Just explain a little bit about what that actually means and how they go about doing that. Sure. So the, the platform is serviced uh, through, a, through a web app, effectively. So mm-hmm. as a web app, you log in, you can create your app. It takes literally 90 seconds, a few bits of information. You hit a magic button. It will then create an app that works on mobile, tablet, and PC. We can then kick that out to native Android and iOS for you as well. Now, one of the key kind of points to come back on when it comes to data is that, you know, we noticed that an event app is really only going to be as good as the people who are on it, right? So if you've got no users using it, then obviously there's nothing to, for anyone to interact with, right? So... One of the key things we did was we said, well, look, you know, people are often quite time poor or they don't have the, uh, the inclination to want to fill out their profile. So you either have nobody on the app or you've got blank profile after blank profile, which is no use to anybody. So one kind of key thing we do as, as part of our platform is once you've built your app on our, on, on our web platform, you take your entire attendee list, whether it's 100 people or 100,000 people, you put them into our platform, we then automatically generate really detailed profiles or pull their picture, their bio, their company's bio, their keywords from the public web and pre-populate profiles for every single attendee. So when you've got that, that sudden increase in data and insight on, on who else is with you, actually the networking becomes much easier. You know, the lead sourcing becomes so much easier and the whole thing just, it has magnitudes of difference in terms of the actual engagement levels you get versus just your standard, your standard app effectively. I have to confess, it was a bit of a loaded question because it brings me on to, to my next point and my next question to, to all three of you. And that is things are like open source programming for, so people can now create their own websites, their own blogs very, very easily. And these are people who uh, are not trained in web design necessarily. There are all sorts of, of um, ways and means out there now to create your own content. And anybody who is even a little bit tech savvy, is good with a laptop and can use a smartphone, can go out there and do an awful lot of things that they couldn't do 10 years ago. Is there any danger or have there been any examples in the industry so far where people have actually taken that perhaps a little bit too far, thought they could do it themselves and get a little bit lost uh, when it comes to the finer details of things. Is there a danger that people could just think, I'm going to go out there and do this myself. Why spend the money on an expert to come in and do it? Mike, what, what could you say to that? Well, I think that there's, there's opportunities out there and products out there which are freemium. So you, there's a certain amount of do-it-yourself in, in going onto a freemium product and creating something. Um, and that can work for certain events. I think it's horses for courses. If you, if you have a low budget, that may be the solution. Once you start getting into a, a sizable event, you really want to bring in experts who've probably already built it. It's, you know, your time should be spent doing the things you're best at or that are most important to the business. Unless you're a tech person yourself, then it's probably not trying to redefine, reinvent the wheel and build something that's out there and may even be available on a freemium offer to get you started. Uh, Jonathan, what, what are some of the objections that you will inevitably come across um, when you're you know, promoting the service? Um, people would say that things like Facebook and YouTube and Twitter are all free, so why should I pay for content on a mobile phone when people can do stuff and it's not going to cost me money? Yeah, it all comes down to the, uh, what you said about um, you know, context being God and content being king. 
I think people often overlook that and they just think they're receiving something for free and you know it's free at the end of the day so it'll do the job but actually you do pay for what you get and it's thinking about the context of the event which is the most important thing for us you know, we have that freeman product out there that people can use and set up themselves but um ultimately what we measure return on investment you raise a lot more money through using the fully managed service which costs more but ultimately you get more money raised and out of it rather than just setting up your own freemium product now for 131,000 charities that are out there they can't all afford to have ibid at their big gala dinners so the freemium product works perfectly well and they're happy raising the amount they raise but you've got to keep everyone's objectives and, and context in mind Ouge, uh, i think you had a point to make um Regarding organisers as uh, and and I suppose maybe the pressure on them to to, to, to work with apps um, and and expectations from their point of view. Sure. So I think one of the interesting kind of points to look at is that you know, the industry is becoming increasingly disenchanted with, with apps and, and event technology. And by that, what I mean is that you know, event technology's great promise was that it would deliver you more engagement, you know, more activation, more users, more ROI, more growth. But the truth of the matter is, if you look at industry averages for, for, let's take apps, right? So industry averages for engagement on apps, so that's people talking to each other, messaging, connecting, doing what you kind of expect an app to deliver. The truth is that engagement levels for apps sit at typically 2 to, at the very end, 13%. And so if you think about the, the amount of money you're going to spend delivering and developing an app, 2 to 13% is... What's somewhat unacceptable if you're perfectly honest about it, right? And and the reasons behind that are, are, are multiple, right? And so so some of it is down to the fact that well, look, you know, we mentioned earlier about an app is only as good as the people are on it, right? So if nobody's on it, you don't have that critical mass to drive further adoption and drive further engagement. And so if you roll that back a little bit, says well, why aren't there people on it? You know, some of it can be down to the way that the technology is built, but actually a lot of it is down to the fact that. Organizers often have the impression that event apps and event technology are a fire and forget kind of thing, right? It's a silver bullet. You, you've got some event tech, boom, it's just going to work. But they're forgetting that actually, you know, just like if a tree fell in, you know, in the middle of a forest, no one's around, you know, would anybody hear it? The same kind of thing happens with apps. You know, if you don't put the effort in to push the app that you have, no one's going to know it exists, and therefore it's not going to deliver anywhere near the ROI you want it to do. So, you know, I guess. The point to kind of bear in mind here is that an event app is the start of a journey, and it's it's imperative for both the event vet, you know, the app vendor and the organizer to work in tandem in a collaborative relationship to really drive the the growth of awareness and thereby the growth of adoption of the event technology, whatever it might be. Does it does it matter how hard an organizer pushes um, technology onto onto people? If you've got a, an audience who just fundamentally are not bothered. Yeah, okay, they've got an iPhone in their pocket, but the company gave it to them. You know, they're they're there to hear the keynote speaker. You know, they're not there to, to get on their phone and engage with an app. How, how do you how do you deal with an audience like that, Mike? I, I think I agree with you. There's some real best practice that can be applied. And if you don't uh, bring the technology and the content and the event together, you're really not using it to its maximum potential. So the example I'd give is that if you're using polling technology, interactive technology like Glissa during a presentation, don't just bring in the presentations and then hope that it's going to work. You've actually got to think about how it might be integrated with the presentations. We find, for example, if you run a poll within the first five minutes and the, the technology is properly introduced by the first presenter, you engage people straight away. They enjoy using the technology. They enjoy being able to comment. And it will work effectively for the rest of the event. But if you don't do that piece at the start, 
people might not pick it up, they might not use it, and, and you're going to be disappointed. So I, get, I agree, it's not a silver bullet. Technology has some real benefits, but it's got to be applied appropriately. Um, Jonathan, the context that, that you're working in, IBID, um, auctions at, let's face it, some prestigious dinners and events um, and galas. Have you had examples where clients just simply haven't been able to encourage the people at that event enough to actually interact and use the app? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that human element can never be overlooked. People think about applying technology to the event and it's automatically going to work. It's not if, if you disregard the human element completely. So introducing it properly at the start or actually making a lead-up period to the actual event and getting people introduced to it beforehand and then announcing it as soon as they arrive, announcing it occasionally throughout the event. We do things like put a countdown timer up with 15 minutes to go before the auction closes, which again goes with human announcements so people see. The great thing about the iBid technology is that you've got constant engagement throughout the night because as soon as you place a bid, it pops up on the leaderboard screens around the room so everyone can see what's going on and it creates this competitive element. But keeping people engaged often comes down to the human element rather than just leaving technology to do it. One point, just going back to Uja's uh, comment earlier, so thinking about the longevity of the technology is absolutely key. That journey starts whenever you want it to start, but often people don't know where it's going to end or they've done their event and what happens to the app? Do they just throw it away? Does it ever get picked up again? How do we keep those users that have been at the event and now have that app, app engaged? We do it in various ways through raffles and things where you can keep people engaged throughout the year. But actually for the events, lots of people just finish the event and the app is no longer used at all. But actually you can get a lot more value, a lot more return on investment if you think about the end of the journey, more so than the start, because the start will take care of itself. But actually you need to put a lot more effort into the end to make it work. Ooh, just very quickly for me, just recap the statistics you, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago about uh, engagement uh, on these platforms. Sure. So we uh We've done a lot of research across event app engagement. And so we define event app engagement as people talking to each other, messaging, connecting, actually engaging. And so industry averages will sit anywhere from 2% to the top end 13% of the audience. So between 2 and 13%. Now, is there therefore a paradox that event technology is moving at a fierce pace and yet we're dealing with end users and audience who are ultimately taking quite a bit of time to, to, to pick up on this. this. We're working with a slow-burning audience in a fast-moving industry. How are the two actually going to meet and what can organisers be doing? We've talked about them communicating and telling them, telling the audience how to use these apps and what technology is going to be there. When should this come into the process and how can they be doing that? Um, I think it needs to be thought about at the start. I mean, I'm a bit amazed by those stats. I didn't know that those were the stats. But come think about it, my phone, I've got loads of apps on there that I've downloaded once, I've probably used once. I'm never going to even look at it again. Um, so I think thinking about you know, the reason you're creating that technology, the journey you're going to be on, what you're going to do with it afterwards, it's absolutely key. But I think if those stats were more widely recognised, people would actually think, coming back to that question we started talking about initially is, do I need an app for this event? You know, and what sort of app do I need? Are people sometimes afraid of the event apps because... They think, well, what's the point in downloading the app? Just, I'm only going to the conference for one day. What's the point in downloading the app? I'm never going to use it again. You know, could there be more of an effort made to continue content being fed through those apps post-event? I mean, when I use a lot of event apps, that's the, that's the impression I get. And I think the problem is you've got to give people a reason to download the app. What is the benefit that I'm getting from this app that I can't get from elsewhere? So if, if there's a map of the venue somewhere else, why do I need it in the, in the app? What, I, what we think 
is that the content is vital and that people like using Glisser because they get the content in their phones and they can download it afterwards and send it to email. If you're going to an event, you're going for networking, as Ouge says, and you're going to learn things to gather content. So with a combination of a networking component and a content component, you're actually delivering two benefits to an audience and there are two reasons for them to actually engage with technology. But if you're just doing it to, to have an agenda and there's a paper agenda anyway, there's no real benefit. I don't really need to download that app. And so I actually jump in there real quick. And so a point I should make is that where the industry average sits at 2 to 13%, so the work we do by pre-populating attendee profiles, we will on average get anywhere from 40 to 65% engagement across our apps, which is you know, significantly different. And what we found actually through you know, years of research in essence is that there's a very real reason why that 2 to 13% exists. And that is because there is a, a genuine lack of perceived value, perceived value ahead of time. Right? And so if I don't know, and it's also that perceived value is also responsible for the, the industry average, which says 50% of all of your free to attend event attendees will never turn up, right? So half of your audience, that's half your marketing costs, your time, your effort wasted, right? And again, it's down to the fact that they just don't see the value in the event ahead of time. You know, you wake up in the morning, oh, you know what? I'd rather not. I've got to do X and Y. And, and so you'll find other reasons which have a higher attributed value in your mind than that event does. And so some really interesting things you can do. So in terms of content, bringing content ahead of the event, you know, here are some of the things you might want to learn if you attend the event. But also, you know, we do some cool stuff like we'll say, well, actually, you know, these are your LinkedIn contacts who are also going to be attending. These are your Twitter contacts who are also going to be attending. So suddenly I might not have seen Mike in a year. I think, oh, great, Mike's going to be there. I want to have a chat with him about X, Y, and Z. So you're giving, you're building compelling reasons to attend ahead of the event and what that means commercially for an event organizer is suddenly if I can reduce that the attrition rate of my attendees by even a small amount what is that going to mean for me across the year across my event across multiple events there's a very real commercial impact on leveraging event technology to drive you know, the actual ROI for every one of my stakeholders but also for my bottom line you know and Jonathan a slightly different audience um, for you, but but nonetheless, um, it's perhaps not looking at attrition at, at, at your sort of events, but looking at how you enable as many people as possible at that event to actually use your platform. Now, I know that you will actually give out some of the devices, and there'll be devices on tables and things at, at, at dinners, but when it comes to actually prompting people to use their own devices that they may have on them, what are the organisers doing to encourage that? Well, you've got to be quite careful and think about what nature of event it is because we've all been to events where people turn up, they put their phone on the tables and it immediately changes the atmosphere of the event. They get stuck on Twitter and Facebook and texting and things which suddenly become really important. Whereas actually if you think what you're there to do, which is raise money for the charity and enjoy the gala dinner, which is why we still push, you know, if they've got a certain fundraising target in mind and it's a certain type of event, we still push using our tablets with our native app on there that communicates to a local network. You haven't got problems with venue Wi-Fi. You haven't got problems with people using their own phones and getting distracted or changing the atmosphere in the room. And ultimately, you'll raise more money. So um, for us, we don't often encourage unless they want the lower cost option. They've got a mass audience they need to participate with, which is outside the room that's online that needs the app, the mobile product. We don't often encourage that at a certain type of event, which is the gala dinners. And uh, Mike, um, again, another little sort of paradox, if you will, or, or a certain level of irony within the industry. Um, 
a lot of people say to me that mobile phones um, are unsociable. You know, they encourage a level of, of, of non-communication among people now because people are always got their thumbs out and they're always on their phone. Um, and yet we go to conferences, we go to events, we go to gala dinners to network, to meet people and to communicate with each other. So again, how do we find the balance between encouraging people to use these devices but still maintain the fundamental reason of why they're there in the first place without becoming taboo and, and sort of committing this almost um, social crime of uh, insulting people by being on your phone all the time. So, so the, the, the counter arguments to that are that one, people can second screen now. You know, I watch TV and I read Twitter at the same time and I can, inter- I can do two things at once. I think most people can and there's a generation coming up where that's just normal. Um, so I don't think you can fight against that. Secondly, Lots of people are introverted. You know, half of people are naturally introverted. Naturally, going up and socialising with people that they don't know and networking with people they don't know is hard and they don't like doing it and it may actually be turning them away from events. Whereas with technology, they might be quite happy asking a speaker a question or interacting with somebody that looks like they might be a good contact. So actually, you're using, for that group of people, using technology in a really, really good way. Um, so I think the, the argument that it's, it's breaking down face-to-face communication is kind of false. I think that it's actually helping some people improve their networking, improve the event, and that may lead to, to more people coming to the event that would normally have said, it's not for me, I don't want to have to socialise in, in quite a face-to-face way. Because not, not everyone's good at it, are they? You turn up to a conference, you turn up to a trade show, and you walk the show floor. Not everybody is good at the face-to-face stuff. As much as people say it's a vital part of doing business, not everybody's got the confidence to just walk up, to shake hands, and, and, and to be up front. So is this happening, uh, opening doors, technology is opening doors to people who don't like that? Absolutely, but I think, I think Mike raises a, a, the perfect point in that <clears throat> you know people are introverted, right? By, by nature, and sometimes networking is actually quite hard work, right? And so what technology, you know, technology will never replace face-to-face, right? It will never replace the face-to-face interactions, the whites of the eyeballs, but what it can do, what it can do is facilitate better connections, right? So you know, at the moment, if I walk into a crowded room, a networking space or a conference, I'm reliant on potluck on serendipitous chance, right? So I might meet the perfect person to have the perfect conversation that might change my entire world, but I might as well miss the person because they're still right behind me and I didn't know about it, right? So what technology can do is it can help cherry pick those opportunities that, you know, we can almost, we can almost shortcut serendipity. You know, we can generate our own luck. And so with that in mind, what we can do is we can use tech to help break the ice ahead of the event. So going into it, I know kinds of people I do want to engage with and therefore the net result, the output of that event is much richer, much better and much more you know, fruitful for me and those involved I guess. Let's bring it right back to the beginning of today's podcast and the statement events don't need apps. Let's ask very simply w- would you agree? I mean you're all in the business of apps um, so we won't want to do anybody out of any business <laughs> but Uj, w- w- what's your take on the statement? So I I think if you peel the statement back, what you're actually saying is, is do event organizers need to employ, you know, mobile app technology, right? But the real question here is, is if they stand still, if they do not move with the times, you know, audiences are becoming increasingly more digitally aware, right? They're expecting experiences to just be effortless, right? And so if I'm walking into a crowded conference room and there are tens of, you know, hundreds or thousands of people there, 
I'm going to want to be able to kind of navigate that deluge a little bit easier. And if you don't have an app for me to do so, my impression of you as an event organizer will be somewhat diminished. And so I think the, the opportunity lies not in saying, do organizers need apps, but you know, do organizers want to progress? Do they actually want to capitalize on the opportunities and return some of that ROI? Like, you know, like, you know, that is the, the end point, actually, that you know, ROI is inherently individual, right? So, so the attendees' ROI is different to the organizers, is different to the exhibitors and the sponsors, and delivering ROI to each one of those is imperative to future growth because if I have a rubbish experience at this event, chance I won't come back next time. And so I think you know, apps are, are, are incredible, incredibly useful and powerful mechanic in driving that ROI exchange. Jonathan, events don't need apps. I'm not going to ask you to, to agree or disagree, but your take on the statement. I think events need the right apps. Too many people spend too much time putting apps into their events because they think it needs an app, but they should spend more time thinking whether or not, you know, one it back, like everyone said, is you know, does it need an, an app or not, and what are they going to get out of it? We have made a, an active decision. We're releasing a new product in October. It's, it could easily be an app, but it's not going to be an app. It's just simply a mobile responsive website, which is almost a single-page app. So, you, of course, you can download it to your phone. You can have it there, but it's not an app that I download from the App Store, simply for, for ease of use um, and scalability. But um, I think events do need apps. I, I, I agree. They just need the right type of, app, of apps. Yeah. Mike, coming to you finally. Um, events don't need apps. So I think apps as a term has kind of become the whipping boy. Um, it's, it's like it's, it's become so generalist. Um, I think all events can probably benefit from technology, and that technology may take the form of an app in, in whatever, however you define it. So if you take the simplest cake and bake sale, you could probably benefit from using Eventbrite to sell tickets, and Eventbrite has an app. So are you using an app for your cake and bake sale? You take it further, you think about any gathering of people in a meeting, I think there's a benefit to using Glisser, and Glisser takes the form of a web app or a native app in order to gather data from those people in the room and to make the uh, experience more engaging and with more participation. When you go up to a very large event, there's a huge amount of technolog technological options that you could deploy, and many of them could be considered apps. So I think events do need technology, and that technology might be an app, um, but it's it's... It, it, you look at look at the individual situation, your event, and think about your objectives. Rounded things off. Um, let's put a call out there. Um, event organisers um, who have used apps, let, let's hear from you. Good and bad experiences. How have you gone about establishing your objectives? Have you sat down and carefully thought about it? Are there event organisers out there who have gone ahead and gone into an app without uh, identifying clear objectives first of all who perhaps would like to like to speak to us and give us their experiences of of what they learned from that um, and whether or not they agree or disagree with the guests that we've had on today's show um, get in touch with us at talking events on twitter you can find the podcast on the event industry news website you'll also be able to watch uh, a video recording of today's podcast via the event industry news youtube channel it just leaves me uh, to thank Ooj Duty from I Was At for joining us today. Thank you, Ooj. Mike Piddock from Glissa. Thanks Hi. for joining us again, Mike. Uh, Jonathan Douglas from iBid. Thank Once again, thanks for taking the time to come into the studio. This has been Talking Events. <laughs>